listening to Raising HSE, a podcast designed for parents with students in Hamilton Southeastern schools. Each episode, you'll hear from different staff and teachers, and they'll share with you helpful tips, information that your student can use, and a few parenting hacks, because together we're Raising HSE. Thanks for joining us. I'm Brooke Lawson, the Mental Health and School Counseling Coordinator for HSE Schools, and I'll be hosting this reboot of the Raising HSE podcast. We're kicking off with a multi-part series featuring Allison Edwards. Allison recently spoke at an event we held for our school community called Tools for Parenting an Anxious Child. If you haven't heard of Allison, she's a child psychotherapist, best-selling author, and national touring speaker. Allison, thanks so much for joining us. Would you like to share any um, information about yourself? Yes, thanks for having me today. I am a psychotherapist in Nashville, and I was also a school counselor and a teacher, and I'm a parent, so I've spent a lot of time working with kids, and um, I'm just happy to be here today. Awesome, thanks. Well, we're going to talk about um, a topic today that is one that I think a lot of children and families deal with. The topic's childhood anxiety. So could you maybe talk a little bit about what childhood anxiety is, uh, maybe define it for us? So anxiety is lack thinking about the future, and that is the, the easiest way to describe it. And if you think about anxiety and depression on a continuum, anxiety is fear about the future and depression is regret from the past. And so when a child experiences a trigger, some a triggering event that they're afraid of, they will have these feelings that come up and those feelings are fear and usually the story is that something is not going to go well. So the story is it's not going to work out, I'm not going to be able to do it and as the child approaches that triggering event, anxiety will increase. The average age of onset for anxiety is seven so this happens really early and oftentimes the first experience with anxiety is very overwhelming for kids. They, they don't know what the feeling is so a lot of times you'll see a young child you know, that initial experience with anxiety is debilitating, which is obviously concerning as a parent. Yeah. So um, can you talk a little bit about like what that might look like? So if I'm a parent and I'm worried that my kid might be experiencing anxiety, what are some of the things I might see? So you'd hear obsessive talking for a lot of kids and that we, when we look at how children process emotions, outward processors are kids who talk about their feelings, so you would see sort of obsessive talking about um, a feeling. They might say, do I have to go to soccer? Do I have to go to soccer? Do I have to go to soccer? Over and over again. And you also would see sort of extended time for worrying about something. So for example, in March, if you've signed your child up for summer camp and they're asking in March about summer camp in June, that is not the reasonable amount of time. So you kind of look at sort of excessive fear about an event that you wouldn't think would be that scary and then also just the length of time like this is seems unusual to start worrying about something months in advance so you talked about kind of the outward processor um what about like the inward processor i know you mentioned that at our event so inward processors they soothe by thinking and so when they have a, a fear, a triggering event, something that's coming up, they will want to think about it. And oftentimes how this looks is just shut down. So kids will become very quiet. You will ask them what's wrong and they will say they don't know. Um, they will say that um, 
they don't want to talk about it. So there is this way that they're going through this process, and it's by thinking. And as a parent, it's often uh, concerning because you're you don't know what's going on. You know, your kid's not telling you, and so kids process emotions very differently. But oftentimes, the inward processors we worry the most about because we don't know. Mm-hmm. what's happening with them mm-hmm. and you'll see withdrawn uh, behavior a lot of times they won't want to do things that they used to want to do so for example go to school in the morning they they just don't want to go they won't tell you why um, also with inward processors you see a lot of psychosomatic complaints mm. so these are the stomach ache headache kids nurses office kids that um, anxiety will manifest through the body because it's not coming out verbally. So where you have outward processors, which are talk about it, let it all out, inward processors hold it in, and then it will manifest in, you know, headaches or stomach aches. So I'm imagining that our listeners are probably thinking, okay, I've got one of those kids, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've got that inward processor, or I've got that outward processor. So what are maybe some things that they could do? Um, maybe some questions they might ask or some approaches they might take to kind of figure mm-hmm. out what to do. So with outward processors, you will know what's going on. Probably you will know so much <laughs> that you don't want to know anymore. Um, outward processors need a boundary because it's not good for them or you to have the whole evening taken up by one of their fears. And so with outward processors, I recommend starting a worry time, which is a time every day that you give them to talk about their fear. And so I recommend like 10 minutes and not too close to bedtime because you don't wanna create worry before bed, but like, you know, after dinner, six o'clock or so, and you just wanna say, you know, this is the time that you can talk about your worry set a timer and um, give them your full attention. And that is the time that they get to share all the things that they're worried about. And then at the end of that time, you would say, okay, we'll talk about this again tomorrow. And with most outward processors, within an hour, they're gonna come to you with another worry or the same worry they've been talking about. Mm -hmm. And so what you're gonna wanna do is say, you know, that's really important to me that, you know, your worry is very important let's write it down and then tomorrow talk about it during worry time Mm -hmm. and this just gives them a a boundary and it helps them do other things during the day oftentimes the relationship around a fear will become really intense between a parent and child Mm -hmm. and that's all you talk about and so kids will pick up one person to talk about their worry with and Mm -hmm. often that's a primary caregiver and all of a sudden you're spending your whole day talking about this. So you want to have a different relationship with your child where you talk about other things. Mm -hmm. Um, With inward processors, you want them to write if possible. So Mm -hmm. write, draw a picture, anything that um, will help them talk about or, you know, reveal their fear without talking. Inward processors find it hard to articulate what's going on with them and they are overwhelmed by questions. Mm-hmm. So most parents think if I just ask the right question, I will get the answer. And that with an inward processor is not true. You will, if you ask a lot of questions, they will shut down even more. Mm-hmm. So I would avoid talking about things in the car ride to school or home from school. It's not a good time to talk about any anxiety or really anything emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, kids are transitioning into school the school day, transitioning out of the school day. But I would talk with them um, and an inward processor, I would ask them to write about it. Um, I talked about this last night, but the having a no-talk notebook where 
your child can write, you know, just in a spiral notebook how they feel and then you they will give it to you and you will respond only by writing. The rule is you cannot ask questions and kids love this mm. because it protects them from you asking too many questions, which is a complaint. You know, kids, they don't want questions, especially inward processors. I can imagine, like, as a parent, because I, I think I'm guilty of this a lot. Like, so when my kid comes to me with a problem, right, and they want to talk about it, I want to solve it. And so I'm wondering about that worry time or that notebook for the inward processor. Like, how do you suggest a parent responds? Like, do they try to help their child problem solve or you know what what might they do so the most important thing is to go beneath the surface to the fear or to the feeling and this mm -hmm. is the hardest thing as a parent because as you said we want to fix problems we want them to mm -hmm. you know come to us they have a problem we have a solution but what's most helpful is to to identify the feeling so this is their journey and you fixing problems is not the goal. The goal is for them to manage the feeling. And so if they come to you with a, a problem, instead of saying, okay, well, here's what we'll do about that problem, you would say, how do you feel about this problem? What is the feeling? And then once you get the feeling, then you help them choose a strategy to manage the feeling. And most of us have experienced the same feeling. We've struggled with the same emotion throughout our lives. And so the gift we give our kids is learning how to manage this when they're young. Mm -hmm. And so if, you know, for me, mine was worry as a kid. So, you know, learning how to manage worry is still my struggle. So we help them learn at a young age, how do you manage the feeling? Because once you fix the problem, you will have another problem pop up. I'm sure you know that as a parent. You're gonna have more problems and you're gonna to try to fix those and you really haven't given them the ability to cope with the discomfort. Yeah, I can Yeah, I can totally see that. I feel like it's like a game of whack-a-mole then, right? And so um, I love that, helping them kind of learn that feeling that they're having, identifying it. Emotional intelligence is such a big deal and so needed for children. I know you mentioned something last night about um, how when you teach children that emotion identification, how much of a gift that is to them in the future, right? You, you shared a, an example about like a parent and a child getting in a fight in their bedroom, mm -hmm. right? And um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that and just like the difference between solving the kid's problem and or them actually having the skills and the words to express themselves um, too. Yeah, so kids are gonna take it out on you as a parent. That's just what they do. They You're the safe people in their lives, so they're gonna you know, um, let you have it, if you will. Um, so it's important to be a safe person for them, and but also to teach them how to manage emotions. And this is, to me, one of the biggest things we can do as parents is help them manage these uncomfortable feelings because this is what they're going to experience in their life. And so oftentimes when kids will say things um, that are inappropriate, and we all get this, they leave me alone, get out of my room, I don't want to talk about it, we initially want to act on that and give them a consequence and say, you know, well, you don't talk to me that way, I'm your parent. Instead of just walking out and letting them sort of process what just happened and a healthy child will be able to look at that and say, hey, you know, mom, dad, I'm sorry I, I said that, here's why I said that. And um, this was what was going on. And you give them the space. A lot of times we don't give kids the space to process we just tell them 
mm-hmm. what they should have done and what we expect. And we haven't even let them t- tell us what was going on with them. And a lot of times we miss it. You know, we miss that they've had a really hard day or they're having this problem with a friend. And instead, we've just corrected behavior. And I think as parents, we that's one of our jobs is not just to correct it, but to go underneath the surface and, and be curious mm-hmm. about why that happened. And you know, the school and, and, the, and the world will do enough correction for them. But mm-hmm. our job as parents is to help them discover what mm-hmm. is it that causes me stress? Why, why did I yell at you? What was it? And I think those are the powerful moments. So would you mind sharing a little bit about the brain and really kind of what happens, maybe even just like the anxious brain, what's mm-hmm. happening in the anxious brain? So the brain is divided into two sections. There's the upper and the lower part of the brain. And when you're dealing with emotions, you have the primal brain, which is the bottom of the brain. And then you have the thinking brain or learning brain, which is the top. And so what happens is we go from primal to thinking brain as humans throughout the day, any given day. And our primal brain is survival and it will always win. So when we feel threatened by anything, our primal brain will take over. and if you feel threatened in your life, you will fight or fight, fight, flight or freeze. And so um, with an anxious brain, um, the bottom of the brain is more active than the top. And that's because there's an amygdala, it's called the amygdala, which is the fear center of the brain. And that's at the bottom of the brain. And that is triggered by perceived danger. So it could be a thought that your child has in the middle of a school day that I forgot to study for my math test and I have a math test, you know, in 10 minutes and that is perceived danger. And what happens is when the amygdala is triggered by perceived danger, it will send a signal and that signal will go to the top of the brain and basically the body heals through blood. And so throughout our bodies, blood is always moving from place to place, wherever there's a need. And so when the amygdala fires, blood comes rushing from the top of the brain to the bottom of the brain. And when that happens, it leaves you without rational thinking. And so when kids have this thought, oh, I have a test, all the blood from the top of the brain goes to the bottom of the brain, and they're able to think rationally. And in those moments, that is when you see, I call it being flooded, is when you're overcome with anxiety and you can't think clearly. And you probably have these moments yourself where you sort of just checked out and the definite excuse me the definition of anxiety is an overactive amygdala and so kids will be triggered by perceived danger throughout the day and they have to learn how to manage that and so it's something that most people don't know I didn't even know as a professional until a few years ago that really that's what's happening it's not choice Mm. it's not that kids are choosing to be worried. It's not that they're choosing to not listen. It's that the brain actually is hijacked by the amygdala. And so when you understand that, and that's something I teach kids in my office, and I I wanna teach as many kids and parents as I can, is that it's not your fault. It's the brain's reaction to stress, and kids with anxious brains will be scared more, and they will end up doing and acting in ways that are confusing or inappropriate or whatever you want to call it because of the blood flow in the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We talk a lot about the brain in our schools mm-hmm. as well, and so I have these conversations at home with my kids a lot, just talking about the different parts of the brain and which part they're thinking with at that moment, so um, I think that's that's really, really important. Mm-hmm. 
Well, as we finish out this conversation, I did want to ask, um, you kind of mentioned the rule of three last night, and I can imagine there might be some parents listening right now who are maybe concerned that their child might be struggling with anxiety, not really sure, you know, where they should go next, if they should reach out for help. Could you talk a little bit about the rule of three and then maybe what would be some appropriate next steps if you have some concerns? So we want to think about kids in sort of the three areas of their life, and that kind of helps us determine, you know, how, what next steps we should take and how severe something is. So kids have three areas of their life. They have home, school, and friends. And when you look at your child, and since we're talking about anxiety today and, and sort of where anxiety manifests, think about, you know, if anxiety is only occurring at school. So, for example, your child has a, does not want to go to school in the morning. They're having a difficult time through the day. They're anxious about friends or academics, whatever the issue. But then at home, they seem really happy and well-adjusted, and then they have really good friends in the neighborhood. And so... You know, you kind of, they, when they get through their school day, they come home and they're relaxed and, and you seem, they seem like they're okay. That would mean just one area is being impacted. And when there's just one area, I recommend that you um, read a book about anxiety yourself, you know, just to kind of help yourself know what it looks like. You can also have a book, uh, read a book with your child that explains it. You can also talk to the school counselor and say, hey, you know, my child's having a hard time at school. Can you meet with them? And then if you have a child, though, that has a hard time at school and then home is hard, too, so maybe there's going some, something going on in the family, um, it might just be that the child just is talking about the school day all evening. So you've got, like, home, school is hard, and then home is hard. That's two out of three, and that's, that's hard for a kid to, to manage a day when there's two areas that are, they're struggling with. And so at that point, I do recommend that you talk to the pediatrician about anxiety. You can also contact an outside therapist I think that's the moment that is sort of the moment where you take action you're saying like this is this is taking up our lives you know this is difficult and then a lot of times parents wait or you know people will wait till after all three areas are being affected so homeschool and friends and so child struggling at home or at school they come home and they're talking about it and then they're just not having good relationships with other kids and to me that's the critical point where it's like there's nothing really supporting your child and I think this is the moment where you must you know take some action because you want to reverse this um, as I talked last night the average age of onset for anxiety is seven for a child and when I see someone in my office at seven there's a very different trajectory than if they come in at 13 and they've been dealing with this for several years mm -hmm. so I would encourage you early intervention is always best and to whenever this happens just you know meet them where they are and, and try to get some help as soon as possible. I agree. I always am shocked to look at the statistics between the, the onset of mental health or mental illness symptoms that kids start displaying and the time that we end up getting them help. And um, you mentioned last night too, like if you, you see a kid at seven, right, they just started struggling with these issues, you can treat them and a really quick amount of time, give them the skills that they need, and they can learn to be, live life with anxiety, right, and be extremely successful um, in whatever they choose to do. And how if you see a child later in life, you've just got a lot more work. Um, and, it, and, you know, 
anxiety is extremely treatable, right? And with the right supports in place, kids can learn to manage it and be successful. And so um, I really appreciate your time today, Allison. And um, remember, this is a, a four-part series that we're doing with Allison about talking about anxiety and children and emotional mus muscles and how to parent an anxious child. And so um, we look forward to you um, joining us for some of our other conversations. Make sure to subscribe to Raising HSE so you don't miss hearing these important conversations. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. We have more great content planned for future podcasts. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss Raising HSE.